The room is dark and hot. It smells like a sick room, but somehow worse. The air is stale and the occupant unbathed. Urine has pooled on the floor and been mopped up. The smell of blood hangs stickily on the walls. And there's something else. Something that is harder to place, but you recognize it all the same. Figuring it out is like trying to remember the words to a poem you memorized in grammar school. It's there, but you just can't find it. The people in the room are still, but there is a sense that this is a new development. They are gathered around a sofa bed. There are priests standing by, looking focused, poised to strike. But there is something else about them. You still can't place it. Is that guilt on the edge of their lips? An older couple stands next to the bed, holding its occupant still. Their nerves are steeled, and they are also wearing an expression usually reserved for battle, but it is colored slightly by grief. On the sofa bed lies a young girl. At least it seems to be a young girl, as she cannot weigh more than 70 pounds. But upon further inspection, it is obvious that this is a young woman who is wasted away to the size of a childlike skeleton. She is dressed in filthy nightclothes, and her face is smeared with blood and bruising. Her eyes blackened, her nose red. Her head is battered and her teeth have been knocked about. Her knees, just visible below her skirt, are large, swollen, and purple. They have broken open in places and are surely unusable. Her wrists, shoulders, and ankles bloom with the blue-black bruising that is apparent elsewhere. She breathes heavily. The room itself is heavy, filled with anger, raw nerves, and the other thing you can't quite place. And then you hear it. Through the tremble of tears, the girl utters, Mother, I am afraid. And then she is gone. And then it hits you. Fear. Fear is what hangs there in the silence. Fear is the shine in everyone's eyes. It crawls through the room like frost on a window, slowly and with thin fingers. Fear is the weight of the room and the smell in the darkness, and it has killed this poor woman while her own parents watched on. But if you ask the people standing in this room, the people who lived this event and loved this woman, what in God's name happened? They will all tell you plainly the exact same thing. It was the devil. I'm Holly. I'm Leslie. And we would be dead. Yeah, we would definitely be dead. <laughs> <laughs> And like, what are we entering week four of quarantine now? I think so. Yeah. This is the beginning of week four for us. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is my first, wow. this is like my first week with not a lot of um, like home, like out homework. Oh, okay. So yeah. It's going to be different for you. Yeah. So, and I'm already starting to feel it. I'm like, oh, this is different. What I need to do something with my day. <laughs> 
I would I I wish I could identify more, but my kids take up like 120% of my life as they are so little. Yeah. <laughs> it's all school or like, mommy, amuse me. Mommy, pay attention to me. Mommy. Whew, it's a lot. Yeah. And then with my kids, I'm just kind of like, should I annoy you? Should I be like doing more things with you? Are you guys okay? You're like 15 and 13, so maybe you're all right. Oh, they're just like living <laughs> yeah. their life. Did you want to leave your room at that age? I probably didn't. No, I played a lot of Roller Coaster Tycoon. <laughs> I have never played that game, oh. nor do I really know what it is. Yeah. But that's okay. It's addicting. I bet Flinny would like it. He would love it, yeah. You guys should play sometime. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never get me out of the house. That's okay. <laughs> like, I just got to build one more coaster. I love that. <laughs> okay, so... um. We have a little bit of welcome business this week. Um, our campfire stories were super fun again. Yeah. I love those. Um, if you guys missed it, you can catch the audio recording of them wherever you regularly listen to this podcast. And the video is still up on our Facebook page. That doesn't go anywhere. So if you want to see our faces along with our voices, you can tune in there. And we're getting better at this recording live without being together every <laughs> week, but it's still a little glitchy. Yeah. Or a lot glitchy, but we sound and look better, so that works. We were only an um, hour can... late last week. <laughs> That's not bad. And this week, I know we have a whole day, but like, I don't think anyone has a concept of time anymore. So, yeah. <laughs> what day is it even? Where am I? Who am I? I don't even know. I have no idea. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, but you guys can catch us again this Friday at 10 o'clock on Facebook Live for some more Campfire Tales. And we'll be doing this every week until the quarantine is lifted. And even after that, I feel like we'll probably do it once a month or something because it's pretty fun. Yeah, that was fun. It'll be easier when we're together too. Oh my God, it'll be much easier when we're both sitting in the same place. Yeah. Around an actual campfire. Yay. Yay. Yes. You can bring your popcorn. Okay. <laughs> um, so if you guys like the work that we're doing, don't forget to spread the word and help us grow this so we can have some live shows because that's our goal. Ooh, ooh. I love that. Uh, so shout outs. We don't we don't have a lot this week. I'm a little, <laughs> a little sad. You guys. Yeah. yeah. A little bit. That's okay. We have a really good one though. Um, we know that, and we also know that everybody has so much on their plates giving the current situation. Um, I'm up to my neck in third grade math right now, so I can't imagine how nuclear physicists must feel, but I assume it's probably like exactly the same. Yeah, it's pretty close. Yeah. So, okay. Big shout out to our friend Jason for the excellent review on Apple podcast featuring a delightful array of hashtags. So you guys should go over there and give that a read. Jason is our most prolific hashtag Avenger and we love him for that. <laughs> so don't forget to drop yours in the comments when you watch us live because that's Yay. a fun thing. Have I forgotten anybody? Anything, Leslie? I don't think so. No, I think we're good. Anything you want to shout out? Um, No, I just want to hear you guys more in our group. I'm missing our... Missing our yeah, same. It's Although lagging the last a couple days have been nice, so that, that's true. Yeah, I think we're all just acclimating to like whatever our new weird schedule is. I know. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I got to talk to people again. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm like, can I please talk to some adults? All I'm talking yeah. about is kid stuff. Uh, okay. Well, then um, we can move on. Uh, before we get started, I just want to mention that my main source for this week is a book called The Exorcism of Annalise Michelle by a woman named Felicitas Goodman. We had a delightful time talking about her name before we started. Just making sure the pronunciation was correct. Yes. I think I did okay. You did great. Great. 
So thank you to uh, Ms. Goodman for her excellent account of, uh, of the situation. I think there actually might be a bit of a language barrier because some of it is like a little bit seemingly different, but it still was like a, a wealth of good information. So if you guys want a good read, I'll provide the link to it in our show notes. Okay, so today we are talking about the supposed demonic possession and ultimate death of a young woman named Annalise Michelle. Some of you may have shit your pants to the movie The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Me, Not I'm some of you. <laughs> oh, no, not you. No, no. Which is loosely based on the events we're talking about today. And if you haven't seen it, check it out. But like only if you don't want to sleep for at least a week because it is super crazy scary. I mentioned on Friday in our Campfire Stories that I saw this movie in theaters when I was 23 and I had to sleep with the lights on that night. As a, like a, I was a full grown adult and I slept with yeah. the lights on. So I think that because it's, I mean... Even today, some of it could be kind of comical. Yeah. It's still, the subject matter is still so terrifying. It's, you know, because it's psychological. Anything psychological gets me because then that just like lingers. Like watching it, I might be like, oh, this is this is all right. And then when I'm laying in bed, I'm like, oh, this is not all right. <laughs> no, it's 3 a.m. and you're like, oh man, it's coming for me. Yeah, for sure. I was just saying to you, like right before we started that, um, I had like printed all my stuff out. And then when I called you, I went upstairs to get something and the printer just like made a sound. I was like, oh, cool. It's the devil. The devil is here. I rebuke the spirits. (laughs) Rebuke those devil spirits. (laughs) And I fully understand that this week's case is, is about illness and not actual demonic possession. But still, it doesn't matter. It's so creepy. Yeah, because it still can happen. Well, I'm not saying that (laughs) I'm not... Leslie is our magic lady. Um, and I'm not and I'm not saying that it can't happen. I'm just saying that in this particular case, it it didn't. Um, which is makes it sad. But anyway, let's let's get started on Annalise. And also, like I was just saying, exorcism is a part of Christianity. We understand that demonic possession is incredibly real to a lot of people. Um, and that it's something that they believe in strongly, and we have total respect for that. Yeah, I believe in it. So There you go. Absolutely. So we're not here to kind of drag anybody's religious beliefs. This is just one case that happened and the specificities therein. Mm-hmm. So don't, don't sue us, Catholic Church, Dr. Phil, oh, God. Oh, Gianna my God. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I'll just add the Catholic Church to our running tab. <laughs> oh, I don't think we can afford that. <laughs> no, we cannot. That said, not every person who undergoes an exorcism actually needs spiritual help. Sadly, far more often, these people are in need of mental help. And the symptoms of a great many serious mental illnesses curiously align with the symptoms of demonic possession. And that is what we are dealing with today. But before we get into Annalise, it is extremely important that we first talk about her parents, Anna and Joseph. <laughs> and Joseph is spelled J-O-S-E-F, which is the you know the German way of spelling it, but I cannot look at it without being like, Nazis. Oh. Because <laughs> <laughs> so many of them had that name in print. So yeah. anyway. He wasn't, though. And not all F Josephs are still. The Michelles lived in Klingenberg, Bavaria, which is all of that is in Germany. Both Anna and Joseph grew up right in the very same area, and they both had parents who owned a sawmill. Just like, isn't that a weird coincidence? Yeah. Um, and they both had an extended family of furniture makers. 
a lot in common. Both Anna and Joseph were raised devoutly Catholic and remained as such for the rest of their lives. Well, at least presumably Anna is still alive. I'm just assuming that she's still devoutly Catholic. Anna was born Anna Fjörg. And after Anna graduated from high school, she went to work for her father in the office of the family sawmill. And now I picture this as like a giant windmill and Anna is sitting at a little desk in the middle answering phones. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Isn't that a more fun way to think about it? Sure, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. Enjoy that picture. This couldn't be more wrong, but like it's fun to think about. (laughs) Joseph Michel came from an extremely religious family. His mother, whose three sisters were nuns, expressed interest early in Joseph's life in having him trained to be a priest. He was sent off to school, like to boarding school at 10, and he was very bright in every subject. He excelled greatly in school in everything except Latin. Oh, well, that's not going to work. Which, as you may or may not know, is kind of necessary for a Catholic priest. Yeah. So that was his his priestly undoing. Apparently the Michelles took this failure in stride and sent Joseph to carpentry school instead, instead where he trained to become a master carpenter until World War II came knocking at his door. Hmm. At 22, Joseph was drafted into the German army where he fought on the Western Front in Belgium and France and was then sent to Russia where he was taken um, prisoner by the American army. So he was a prisoner of war. We got him. Um, and he was released in June of 1945. So needless to say, Joseph has seen some shit. Yeah, for sure. He lived most of his remaining life managing um, post-traumatic stress disorder that he incurred during the war and as a prisoner of war. He never really stopped seeing Hitler and the war over his shoulder. Okay. It was in daily conversation and um, just a, a really big part of his life. After the war, Joseph entered construction school, which I didn't know was a thing. Yeah. But it is. (laughs) He entered construction school and graduated in 1948. And by 1950, he had taken over the family sawmill and married Anna. Okay. So just sawmills and happiness, I guess. (laughs) Beautiful. Yeah. In 1951, Joseph and Anna had their first daughter, Martha. By all accounts, Martha was the perfect child. She was the image of German pastoral piety. It was said that Martha would go and pray the rosary with her family. Now, mind you, she's like three. And then go out into the fields and play with her baby lambs. And then she would return home singing and talk about how while she was playing with her baby lambs, she did the rosary three more times. Ooh, this sounds just like me (laughs) when I was a little, little toddler. You just said the rosary and played with lambs? All day. Oh my God. Come on. Oh, Martha. Oh, Leslie. This is how she's reported, but like, I don't know. She was looking for those gold stars from her parents. That's what she was looking for. She was getting them too. Everybody loved Martha. She was like the most beloved child in all the land. On September 21st, uh, 1952, Annalise was born, followed by her sisters, Gertrude in 1954, Barbara in 1956, and Roswitha in 1957. But we are going to take a minute. Because I think Leslie has some facts on 1952 when oh, our protagonist was born. Okay. So in 1952, Yahtzee was introduced. Yahtzee! Yeah. <laughs> I like to scream that. Um, the quotes, Lucy, I'm home. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. We know who said that. Um, oh, Tony the Tiger. They're great. Ooh. <laughs> or I did that wrong, but you guys get it. And I then think you did it perfectly. <laughs> and finger licking good. So KFC was around. Yeah. Um, I hate that saying. <laughs> Um, the phrase, the greatest thing since sliced bread was first used by Red Skeleton. Red Skeleton? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a couple of funny names that I have in here too. <laughs> I'll call them Skeleton. I like Skeletons better. It's fine. <laughs> I know. I can read okay. Uh, <laughs> you read the best. This was interesting. George Reeves, the actor who played Superman, was cautious about his young fans after a boy pulled a pistol on him to test Spider or Superman's invulnerability. No. So, yeah. So Reeves convinced the boy to give him the gun by telling him that someone else could be hurt when the bullets bounced off him. Oh, my God. Isn't that crazy? Could you imagine? Could you imagine like a couple years later being that kid and being like, oh, what did I? I almost killed a man. <laughs> I don't know. I think he's really Superman for that, though. That was his response in that kind of crisis. That guy's actually Superman. Oh, my God. Um, Les Paul started selling his guitars. Nice. Um, It's the year Area 51 was started, so that might make some sense for our story. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Demons and aliens, best friends forever. Can we have that t-shirt? Demons and aliens, best friends forever? Yeah. I like that. (laughs) Um, And the last one is Mad Magazine was started. Yay. I like that one. Those are very good facts. And also Annalise Michelle was born. Oh, yeah. Her too. (laughs) Area 51. (laughs) Demons and aliens. Best friends forever. And I mentioned all her other sisters were born. Delightful. Tragically in 1959, perfect Martha died at just eight years old of kidney disease oh wow i know her mother would never really recover from this yeah because martha was like their golden child and the the loss of her was just like too much for her to really handle she was very different afterwards annalise was small and sickly as a child and before her sixth birthday she had had measles mumps and scarlet fever Wow. Yeah. The doctor said she had no resistance to childhood diseases and basically like a barely there immune system. And it's it's noteworthy that all three of these diseases, I believe, I don't know that much about mumps, but I think they all come with like a decently high fever. Okay. Which will come back later. So just like keep that in your yeah, brain. That makes sense though. Because of her sickly early childhood, Annalise would begin kindergarten a year late. She was still smaller than all the rest of her classmates and bullied frequently. The Michelle girls were held up to impossibly high standards. It was expected that they bring home perfect grades or nothing. Home was an extremely strict place of quiet prayer and modesty. Both Anna and Joseph had been profoundly affected by World War II. They saw everyone they knew either go away to fight in a war or be dragged away to a concentration camp. Either way, most of them did not come back. Because of all of this, the Michelles became extremely protective of their girls. They were pretty paranoid because of all the stuff they had seen, and they kept everything very close to home, and they really relied on their religion. In 1965, Annalise began attending a Schaffenberg Academy. Sorry if I pronounced that wrong. A-S-H-A-F-F-E-N-B-U-R-G. 
just in case. <laughs> Where she did extremely well. It must have the same amount of letters as schadenfreude because that's how they say that in Avenue Q when they spell it out. Oh, yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Which is my favorite German word. Not that I know many, but schadenfreude yeah. is a really good one. It means like deriving pleasure from someone else's misfortune. Aww, that's nice. Spread it around. <laughs> Annalise was an extremely bright girl and a promising student. She was lively, fun, and well-liked by her classmates. She excelled especially in Latin, ironically enough. I know. She was super good at it. So Skips a generation. Uh-huh, I guess it did. <laughs> and while her family was deeply religious, she really at this point in her life just wanted to be a normal girl. She wanted to date and have fun and hang out with her buddies and all that stuff. Her grades were so good that Anna, would, her mother, would often brag about Annalise to anyone who would listen. And her greatest wish, wish was for Annalise to go to college and become a school teacher. And remain a virgin until this goal was achieved, <laughs> at which time she would get married and have children. You see, Anna, beca- being the devout Catholic that she was, was completely obsessed with her girl's virginity. I mean, I guess that's that's not all Catholics, but it's like a trait. No, that's a that's a pretty strong Catholic trait. Uh, yeah. I don't want anybody to get too mad. Yeah. It's a pretty strong Christian trait. Yeah. It's like a very, that's not just Catholic, that's like a very strong Christian trait. When Annalise was supposed to take social dancing in school, her mother forbade her to do so. So she would have to sit out the class while everybody danced. Oh. Isn't that awful? Wouldn't you be mortified? Well, yeah. The dancing brings the devil. Apparently. Well, no, it was just because there were boys and she'd have to touch a boy. Oh. Well, yeah. And that would. Yeah. The social dancing would be like ballroom type dancing and she wasn't allowed to do that. Okay. Um, and Anna began to fixate on any opportunity her girls would have to be alone with boys. They were not even allowed to... Um, go to their friends' houses if their friends had a brother. Oh, strange. Okay. So she was real strict. Yeah. So she was like, no boys ever. No parties, no dances, no dance lessons. Yeah. Not even going to a house with a boy in it. Right. Yikes. Anna insisted also that Annalise be a perfect student, a strict Catholic and a virgin. All these things were like non-negotiable. Free time would be spent in prayer or study, and that was that. Joseph was largely uninvolved in the raising of his daughters, which was not unco- which was like a sign of the times. That's mm-hmm. not super uncommon. Though he would bring up talk of the war at home and did not trust boys really either. Again, this that just feels like typical dad stuff. Yeah. Um, but the girls were pretty well versed in their dad's experiences during the war, so that, that would enter into their consciousness. And the Michelle home was a pretty tense place to be. Shortly after her 16th birthday, so in September of 1968... What do we know about 1968, Leslie? Well, the Harlem Globetrotters were formed in Chicago and didn't play a game of basketball in Harlem until 1968, which was 40 years later. Did they ever really play a game of basketball? I thought they just did tricks. (laughs) (laughs) Whenever they did the magic tricks. (laughs) They whistled and did magic tricks as far as I know. (laughs) Anyway, don't sue us. Harlem Globetrotters, Dr. Phil, Gianna De Laurentiis, and the Catholic Church. I don't, think they, I don't think they disagree with us. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Keep going. In 1968, radical feminist Valerie Solanas shot and wounded Andy Warhol and two others at his New York City studio, The Factory. Yikes. Mm-hmm. Um, two boys playing in a deserted and rat-infested tenement cool. found the body of a 31-year-old drug addict a year and a half later was the body identified 
as that of child actor Bobby Driscoll, <gasps> who was the Academy Award winner and voice of Peter Pan. I was going to say, isn't that Peter Pan? Yeah. Oh, shit. I did not realize that happened to Peter Pan. He looks like Peter Pan, too. Mm. Like, the yeah. animation is, like, his face. Yeah. Partially, so, at least. That was wild. Yikes. April 4th, uh, Reverend Martin Luther King was assassinated. Oh. That happened then. Uh, John Lennon, after taking a large amount of LSD, called an emergency meeting of the Beatles to inform them that he was, in fact, Jesus Christ reincarnated. Of course. Yeah. This goes with our story pretty well. Yeah, that's why I thought I picked it. (laughs) I like it. I thought this was nice. Um, Peter Norman, the white Australian silver medalist who stood with two African-American sprinters giving the Black Power salute in 1968 Olympics, was wearing a civil rights button to stand in solidarity with them and did so for the rest of his life despite being ostracized in his own country. But this is the cool part. Years later, Tommy Smith and John Carlos, who were the two African-American athletes, um, they were his pallbearers at the (gasps) funeral for Peter Norman. Oh. I know. I thought that was really nice. That is nice. Um, And then this is interesting. This also goes with our story. So this is before any of that stuff happens. But Allen Ginsberg and the rock band called the, The Fugs performed a mock exorcism at Senator Joe McCarthy's grave. Oh. Yeah. Good times. Yeah. All right. That's all. Delightful. So we're in 1968. Yep. Uh, Annalise Michelle just celebrated her 16th birthday. So obviously it would be in September and um, had just returned to school from summer holidays. Annalise was sitting in the school's courtyard with her friend Maria when she suddenly blacked out. Just like real quick. Mm. Maria was able to rouse her nearly instantly. And the two kind of like laughed it off. They were a little stunned. They didn't really know what happened, but it was so fast. They were like, okay, I guess you just had a moment, whatever. And then they moved on with their day. That night, Annalise woke up in her bed around midnight and found that she couldn't move her entire body. Her body was completely rigid. She felt like something was pinning her to the bed. It was hard to breathe. She couldn't speak or cry out, and she lost control of her bladder. Mm. Yeah. Eventually, Annalise broke out of this state, and she cried, cleaned herself off, changed her bed linens, and went back to sleep. I don't know that I could have done that, but more power to you, girl. And then things went back to normal for 11 months. Then on August 24th of 1969, Annalise had an identical incident. And this time she told her mother. Oh, oh no. (laughs) I would have last time too, but like, okay. Yeah. Although her mom is like a little scary, so. Yeah. Whatever. Her mother, Anna, was horrified. She was convinced that something was wrong with Annalise's brain and now she would never make it to college, which was like her one goal in life for her children. Mental problems were not looked upon kindly in that time and place. And Anna just kept asking Annalise what was wrong with her. Uh, She's, you know, just been like, what's wrong with you? What's happening? That's so mean. (laughs) So she took Annalise to their family doctor who diagnosed her with temporal lobe epilepsy. A word on temporal lobe epilepsy because it is quite important. Everything I'm about to read, you guys, comes from the Mayo Clinic's website. So it's legit. You can corroborate it. Corroborate it. I cannot say that word ever one time. We have to learn how to say it. (laughs) We have a podcast that like needs it like every episode. (laughs) I think it's just my thing that I say it wrong. (laughs) Coabawait. Coabawaited. Yeah. (laughs) So that's that's how it's pronounced now for everybody. 
collaborate. I just changed it. Collaborated. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to read you guys some facts about temporal lobe um, epilepsy. And it's super valid, and you'll see why later. Temporal lobe seizures begin in the temporal lobes of your brain, which process emotions and are important for short-term memory. Some symptoms of temporal lobe seizures may be related to these functions, including having odd feelings such as euphoria or fear or deja vu. Temporal lobe seizures are sometimes called focal seizures with impaired awareness. Some people remain aware of what's happening, but during more intense seizures, you might look awake but be unresponsive. Your lips and hands may make purposeless, repetitive motions. Mm -hmm. Remember that. Temporal lobe seizures may stem from an anatomical defect or a scar in your temporal lobe. The cause is often unknown. Temporal lobe seizures are treated with medication, and for some people who don't respond to medication, surgery may be an option. An unusual sensation or aura may precede a temporal lobe seizure acting as a warning. Not everyone who has temporal lobe seizures has auras, and not everyone who has auras remembers them. The aura is actually the first part of a focal seizure before the consciousness is impaired, and examples of auras include a sudden sense of unprovoked fear or joy, a deja vu experience, a feeling that something has happened before, a sudden change in... Like the, oh, a sudden strange odor or taste, a rising sensation in the abdomen similar to being on a roller coaster. Sometimes temporal lobe seizures impair your ability to respond to others. This type of temporal lobe seizure usually lasts lasts 30 seconds to two minutes. Characteristic signs and symptoms include loss of awareness of surrounding, starings, lip smacking. Ugh. Oh, worse. I hate that. Yeah, lip smacker. Growth. <laughs> Repeated swallowing or chewing, unusual finger movements such as picking motions. After a temporal lobe seizure, you may have a period of confusion and difficulty speaking, inability to recall what occurred during the seizure, unawareness of having a seizure, or extreme sleepiness. Mm. In extreme cases, what starts as a temporal lobe seizure involves into a generalized tonic-clonic seizure which is a great name. That is. People used to refer to it as a grand mal seizure, but now it has the way cooler name, tonic-clonic, which should be a band if it's not. <laughs> Put it out there in the world. Uh, this features convulsions and loss of consciousness. So that is temporal lobe um, epilepsy. The causes um, of temporal lobe seizures remain unknown. However, they can be the result of a number of factors, including traumatic brain injury, infections such as encephalitis or men meningitis, or a history of such infections. Remember, she was sick a lot of times with fevers. A process that causes scarring in a part of the temporal lobe called the hippocampus, blood vessel malformations in the brain, stroke, brain tum tumors, or genetic syndromes. So there is your... Um, Lesson in medicine for the day. I but didn't get any of that. Are we going to be tested on it later? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I have all the notes. You can just look on them. <laughs> Furthermore, there's another interesting little fact. There is a subset of reactions to temporal lobe epilepsy called Gershwin syndrome, which causes hyper-religiosity in its victims. Some individuals may exhibit hyper-religiosity characterized by increased unusually intense religious feelings and philosophical interests. And partial temporal lobe epilepsy patients experiencing frequent R's perceived as numerous in character exhibit greater um, interstitial spirituality. 
and that some auras in this case, like your like warning sign, include ecstatic religious experiences. And it's been reported that many religious leaders exhibit this form of epilepsy. Oh. Yeah. Gershwin syndrome was only discovered in 1973, though, and there are still some professionals who debate its credibility. All right. So these are all just things to keep in mind as we proceed with what happens to Annalise. Annalise was not prescribed any medication at this time, which blows my mind. They're like, oh, she's an epileptic, but that's fine. Bye. Yeah. What would they have given her for that? Anticonvulsants. Okay. They were available at the time. They just... My assumption is that this was like a town doctor. Yeah, I would assume so. And that it was just like a, well, it's just a couple times. She'll be fine, whatever type situation. I I can't really speak to it as like no sources explain why. Yeah. Some say that she didn't... Like her her brain scans and stuff didn't show some of the like electrical activity that would be required for like a formal diagnosis. Mm. But also like she didn't have a seizure during any of them, which I feel would probably affect that. But who knows? Yeah, I don't know. Because I feel like they don't give you a brain scan while you're having a seizure. I don't know. I don't. Can they cause one? Is that a thing? Doctors. Yeah. There's none in the room. Where's Where's our Dr. D? The... <gasps> yes, <laughs> she's gonna have to answer us she's about have um, to answer that about thing. how they test for if you're um, if you're epileptic, or you can Google it. Yeah, right now if you want. <laughs> don't tell her that. Just Google it. <laughs> Google it. It's fine. You don't need doctors. Just Google it. Oh no, you always. I meant you can Google it if we oh. want to talk about it. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Not the world should use Doctor Google because please don't. Doctors hate that. Yeah. <laughs> so after this. Um, diagnosis, Annalise began to feel unwell. First, she was diagnosed with tonsillitis. She was like, my throat hurts. And they said, oh, you must need your tonsils out because that was also super common back then. So she got her tonsils out. And then she came down with pneumonia and pleurisy, which is another lung issue. And then in December, she was just diagnosed with straight up tuberculosis, which it probably was the entire time. Yeah, probably. But this is um, the late 60s, so tuberculosis wasn't like crazy common then. And if we remember... Our past episodes, which like everything features tuberculosis always forever, Um, streptomycin at that point was already invented, so she could be treated with antibiotics. So they prescribe her those, and they tell her that she has to stay quarantined in just her bedroom, which is worse than we have it, so sad for Annalise. After six weeks of bedroom quarantine, ugh, Annalise didn't get any better. And in February of 1970, the doctor had her sent to a sanatorium to recover and receive around-the-clock treatment. What happened in 1970, Leslie? Mm, Let me tell you about it, Holly. Okay, please do. Okay. In 1970, Samsung, who originally sold noodles, started selling electronics. I love both noodles and electronics. That's (laughs) delightful. I know. They're a great company. Um, George C. Scott, who played Patton in the 1970 classic, uh, I deleted (laughs) the movie (laughs) when I was editing this, so I don't know which classic, but we can look him up later. Probably Um, Patton. Yeah. That's a movie. (laughs) He refused to show up to the Oscar to to accept his award because the whole thing is a goddamn meat parade. I don't want any part of it. A goddamn meat parade? Yeah, I loved it. Because that's how I feel about it now. So it's just funny that, like, it just always felt like that to, like, <laughs> to actors, you know? Meat parade. The whole thing's a goddamn meat parade. <laughs> oh, that is 
colorful. <laughs> yep. Um, Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin both died. God damn it. I know. A Oh, this is interesting. So I actually heard this story um, on my friend's podcast, Wine, Dine, and Storytime. They talked about um, Amelia Earhart. On there, mm-hmm. so a book was published in 1970 that alleged, uh, alleged, well, that they thought Amelia Earhart uh, survived and changed her identity to Irene Craigmile Bolam, who was in That's New York. That's based on a picture. It's nuts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was a New York banker, and uh, Bolam ended up suing the book uh, because she was like, "I'm not." <laughs> Guess I'm what? like just nope. a New York banker. Like people are coming up to me on the streets. Like it was really bad for her for a while. That's so funny. Yeah. Just this one oh. guy wrote this book. Like I know who it is. <laughs> oh no. Um, and National Lampoon Magazine was created. Oh, we have Mad Magazine and National Lampoon. We're like killing it with the comedy today. I know. It's just interesting. This is like when I was going through these dates. It was just making it feel like it wasn't that long ago because it really wasn't that long ago that this really wasn't. happened. So I, we want to think this was like the dark ages of medicine, but it's not. It's not. No, it's like it's all there. Crazy. I mean, even one of the songs, I didn't say this, but in um, so two years earlier in 1968, I guess when she was mm-hmm. 16, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. The top song in America was I Heard It Through the Grapevine. So at some point, I remember that. Like, I'm sure she's going to hear that. You know, I'm sure that came. I don't know. They probably mm-hmm. didn't get to listen to music, but. Remember when the California Raisins sang it? <laughs> yes. So good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. That's all I got for you. Those are our 1970 facts? Yeah. I love them. So we're having all that fun. And then in February of 1970, the doctor had Annalise sent to a sanitarium to, because that was still a thing in Germany then. To recover and receive around-the-clock treatment. Annalise was extremely distraught because she loved home and her church and had never been away from either of them longer than the length of a school day. Okay. So she had never even been overnight anywhere. To make matters worse, the other girls in the sanatorium seemed to have all come from the same area. Apparently there was a TB outbreak in somebody's, (laughs) like, one specific pocket and so all the girls knew each other and they would gossip and talk about like what they were going to do when they got out and boys they liked. Aww. And Annalise was like the only one that couldn't engage in that, which is so upsetting. Oh, so she didn't even really talk to them about it? No, she was just left alone. Oh, that's so sad. And she frequently turned to God. She prayed and prayed and prayed, which was her thing anyway. And while there, Annalise was also diagnosed with both heart and circulatory problems. And they don't go into any further detail anywhere. Okay. It just says she has heart problems and circulatory problems. Hmm. Okay. This extended her stay at the sanatorium considerably, though. And by all accounts, this place is not like when you hear that word, you think like disgusting, scary hospital yeah, where people are like, you know hacking up a lung and chained to a bed. <laughs> By all accounts, it was pretty nice there. <laughs> they were yeah. they treated her well. They got her better. All the girls seemed to be like giddy and happy and it, it wasn't a horrible place. But anyway, on June 3rd of 1970, Annalise experienced another attack, the same as last time, little blackout. And then at night, the big old blackout itself. Uh, this time when she came out of the paralysis, she was able to scream. And the nurses came running to her aid. The sanatorium then promptly re-diagnosed, because I guess her parents and the doctors had just ignored this before, her temporal lobe epilepsy. 
But this time she was given treatment. The day after this event, like all the girls were talking about it all over the place. And suddenly they could not want to talk to her more. Well, great. Now she's popular. (laughs) I know. She became a sanatorium celebrity. (laughs) They were like, what's wrong? What happened to you? And they were like, did you get kicked in the head? Did you fall down? Like, why are you having that? These are legitimately what these girls wondered. I just have tuberculosis. (laughs) I know. One of them was like, my cousin got got hit in the head when she was little and now she has seizures. Is that your problem? And Annalise was like, one time I fell down. So I guess it could be. That's an actual conversation that she brought to her doctor because they're like 18 year old girls. I know. I would have totally had that conversation with them. Right? (laughs) God. She began the medication that night. Annalise had also been previously diagnosed by that town doctor she went to as nervous and slightly neurotic, Hmm. which like those are not real medical words in this day and age. (laughs) So this was the early 70s and it was like rural Germany and things were very different. So suffice to say, Annalise was most certainly um, battling anxiety problems, especially in her present state. Her home life had kind of snowballed into a nervous condition. I mean, obviously anyone whose parents are like, you have to be a perfect virgin forever, are going to be stressed out. And now suddenly she's away from home and she never has been before. I get it, girl. So she's she's in a pretty heightened state. Dilantin is also known to, um, as a side effect, it can cause anxiety. Yeah. As, so. as most anxiety drugs do. <laughs> uh, it's not an anxiety drug. It's a seizure drug. Oh, always oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So it is at this time that Annalise begins to see the faces. Oh. Yeah, I don't love them. At first, things were pleasant right after her diagnosis. Annalise recalls sitting by the window at sunset and praying the rosary. Remember, they love the rosary. And asking the Virgin to protect her. She felt as though her family and the Virgin Mary were with her in that moment. She was, like, blissful and religiously ecstatic. Mm-hmm. So let's, like, remember yeah. what we talked about before. And she was in this state until her friends, like the other girls, interrupted her by saying, what is wrong with you right now? You look really scary. They said her hands looked claw-like and they were making, like, fidgety, repetitive movements. Okay. And that her eyes were black. Okay, so let's remember our symptoms. Yep, I'm checking them off. (laughs) Yep. Annalise didn't understand what they were talking about because she felt really happy, but she ran to look in the mirror and her eyes did seem black, which they will when your pupils are super dilated. Right. Which is going to happen when you have a seizure, or at least it can happen. It's a response that can happen from it. Um, So when when people say like, oh, they were possessed, they went black in the eyes, like that's your pupils are huge. That's usually why that's happening. so anyway, and, and they mentioned before that you can be totally unaware you're having a seizure, but conscious, which is what was happening to her. She was like staring out and thought like God was with her and the Virgin Mary was with her and she could hear her family praying with her. And it was like this ecstatic moment, but she was she was having a seizure. The next day, Annalise tried to like recreate this blissful experience, but instead of connecting with the Virgin Mary and hearing her grandfather's voice, she saw out in the clouds a terrifying face staring back at her yeah hard no i want you to like think about that moment in the exorcist when the face is like just like blinks out that's like what it was (laughs) no i'm gonna step out for the rest of this story um just let me know when you're done (laughs) i know and the faces never left her after they started they they never stopped 
They followed her around all the time. She could see them in the world, and they frightened her. At this point, and she shared this with her doctors in the sanatorium, and they diagnosed her with schizophrenia. There, there are some schools of thought where it becomes debata- debatable whether or not she actually had schizophrenia or something else, but we're going to talk about that like after we wrap this up. Okay. But th- but that's a pretty logical diagnosis because schizophrenics fre- frequently have like religious, strong religious thoughts, beliefs, and they like attach themselves to weird rituals. Like that's super common. So um, after six more weeks in the sanatorium, Annalise was sent home. And during these final six weeks, she became extremely depressed. When she returned home, she thought that like that would fix everything. She thought that laying in her own bed was going to fill her with joy and make everything better in her life. But it didn't. She laid down in her bed and she felt nothing, which mm-hmm. is super common also of clinical depression. It makes you sad, yes, but it also can make you very numb. Yeah, absolutely. You just don't have any feelings, which to me seems like what she's describing. And by then it's August. And a few short weeks after her return home, she went back to school. But she came back much changed. Her sisters described her now as moody and irritable, and her friends claimed she was withdrawn and obsessively religious. She no longer engaged with any of her friends, only people that were heavily involved in the church. Mm. Annalise spent the rest of her time in high school just, she was only there to please her mother. Her grades went from being brilliant to average, and her friendships all but dissolved. Annalise prayed constantly and tried to ask God to save her, but she got no answers. She had a few more seizures, as her mother hadn't continued her medication when she came home from the sanatorium. So every time she comes home from the doctor, her mom stops giving her any of her meds. Oh, okay. Yeah, which, like, that's, come on now. And um, in September of 1972, the seizures seemed to stop. She had one extremely big event, like she had a really big overnight seizure with a few aftershocks, and then it seemed to go away. And this event like lifted her depression, and she kind of came back to life. She came back to her old self. She was just kind of going to school, living her life. She wanted to be normal again. She was telling her mom, like, I'm fine, mom. I want to go make friends. I want to like engage socially with boys. This is how she was previous to all of these things. But her mother refused to accept that she was all right. She's like, no, you're not all right. You can't do anything. You have to just stay in this house. You can't go out. You can't talk to people. You can't have friends because you're you're going to get sick again immediately. I know it. Okay. Which like that helps everything. Yeah. So her mother brought her back to the doctor for feeling better. <laughs> I know, which is really, really, really weird. And Annalise was protesting this the whole time. She didn't want to go back to the doctor. She was fine. But um, Anna told the doctors, like, she's having seizures again. She's having them, even though she had stopped having them. But this is where her mother gets a little, I I think she starts to exhibit a little more guilt than is previously projected on her mother. And the the, the Anna asked the doctor to re-examine her circulation issues. She's like, well, she still has circulation issues. Maybe it's that. Right. But of course, the doctor's like, I don't want to talk about that. If she's having seizures, that's what we're going to deal with. Um, which is obvious, like any any re- responsible doctor would do the same thing. So he put her back on her anti-convulsion medication. And two weeks after she started on the medication, the faces came back. Oh, great. I just don't think she reacts well to the medication she's given. Yeah. So, do we have 1972 as a date? No. Or is it 73? 73. Okay, cool. 
In October of 1972, after taking the medication for two weeks, she began smelling like a foul odor that nobody else can smell, which if we recall back to our epilepsy information, can be an aura. Mm -hmm. That can say that you're beginning a seizure if you're smelling something like that. And the faces were there. She was seeing the faces all around her again. In the spring of 1973... Annalise began to hear the knocking. Oh, boy. Which, like, is never good. No, you never want to hear that. (laughs) No, it didn't work for the Bell Witch, and it's not going to work now. So Annalise begins to hear knocking overnight, seemingly, like, in her bedroom walls. And the doctor says that nothing's wrong with her. Her mom, like, takes her back. She goes, no, she's hearing things. The doctor's like, nothing is wrong with her. Maybe, like, something's knocking. (laughs) That could be what's happening. (laughs) And her mother said, no, 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 no. I need to take her to an ear specialist. Um, So they take her. And the ear doctor says, nothing's wrong either. There's nothing wrong with her. Her doctor says, like, listen, she's epileptic. That is her problem. That is her only problem. Stop. But then her mother began to hear the tapping too. Oh, good. Yeah. And then after her mother brought it up suggestively, her sisters began to hear it too. Yeah. Cool. Now, in the meantime, her father never hears it. <laughs> it's like these crazy women in my house. <laughs> I know. Like, he lives in the same house, and he never hears it. And he's pretty insistent that Annalise is sick, and her yeah. mother is being hysterical and yeah. not accepting <sighs> the facts about her child, which to me, is like, that's pretty sound logic. Typical guy. <laughs> oh, man, bringing all your logic in here. But um, Anna, her mother kind of proceeds with this. She says, no, no, no. Like she's seeing faces and the faces aren't just like human faces. They're horned devils. And she said that when she looks at the Virgin Mary, her eyes turn black and her hands twisted. Yeah. Which we explained before. So finally, after a lot of this kind of talk, Joseph agrees to seek religious guidance for her. Okay. Just to get an opinion from their church. At this point, Annalise once again begins to feel like she has been abandoned by God Mm. because her prayers are not being answered, and she's extremely depressed. Later that spring, Annalise gets the German measles. She can't catch a break. I know. She had a lot of fevers, and I honestly think that that could have affected her brain, but I could be wrong. And her father decides to take her on a trip to the San Damiano Shrine, which is like a religious shrine in Italy. Mm -hmm. So it's like a group trip from her church. A woman from her church organizes it. They all go on a bus together. They go to this shrine like you do. But once they got up to the shrine, Annalise could not enter it. She said the soil burned her feet. And when she turned around and looked at the other people praying, they looked like demons gnashing their teeth. Yikes, right? Yeah. She also was looking around at the other people there with her. And if they were wearing um, medals with a saint on them or they had pictures of a saint, they were like too bright for her to look at. Like they hurt her eyes. And the medal that she had on her chest was burning her chest. Okay. And on the way home, Annalise began to speak to the woman who organized the trip and she started saying extremely rude antagonizing vulgar things to this woman in an extremely masculine voice okay. right which is really out of character for this like young girl i mean i'd be i'd be pissed too if i saw a bunch of demons and like my metal blinding me and burning me i'd be pissed You'd be like what the fuck yeah what the fuck man god <laughs> woman yeah. maybe that's what was happening we don't know where'd you take then me she, She rushed at the woman and tore the saint medal off her neck, which, like, that's uncalled for. And then 
The whole bus filled with a stench. Mm. She just emanated stench. <laughs> Did she just fart or something? <laughs> <laughs> that was- I was like, guys, she's did she shit her pants? Cause like she might have just shit her pants. Maybe she did though. She peed herself a lot of times. Well, there you go. We don't know. All also, was, was it hot out there on the beach? Was she sweating? Like maybe her mother doesn't <laughs> give her deodorant. I don't know. Nobody sweats poo. And they said it smelled like poo. Yeah. She shit her pants, the poor. She girl. shit her pants, right? <laughs> Yeah. First of all, if you're scared and then you lash out at some woman and your dad's there, you're gonna be you're gonna shit your pants probably. Yeah. I feel like I want to right now just for her. <laughs> just like sympathetic pants shitting. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. I, I that was like watching the movie was that kind of experience. <laughs> so all of this happens and she comes back home and her mother still is like pressing on the fact that she wants her to go to college, which is nuts. She's like, you you have to go to church and get this fixed up because you need to start college in the fall. This is the summer. And Annalise says, like, I'm not not going to college. Like, I can't go to college like this. What's going to happen to me at college when I'm like this? Right. Um, But she did end up going. Her mother, she didn't go for long, but um, her her mother kind of won that battle. And she went off to college. And there are some reports that at college she actually had a boyfriend. I mean, he's not documented a lot of places because, like, it wouldn't have been a widely known fact. But apparently he, like, stood by her through all of it from a distance. I want to believe that that's true because it makes me feel like she had, like, a little bit of joy in her life. Nice little Christian boy, probably. Probably. Aw, I know. Let's, like, let's just make that true for us right now. Let's just give her that. Call him Chad. Chad. Oh, I think his yeah. name was actually Peter, but you know oh, what? Okay. Same thing, whatever. <laughs> it's like it this is such a like a rumor or she might have had type thing that I don't I can't really like confidently say anything, but there are a couple little whispers of that. Yeah. So when, when once she was at college like she's the seizures just started again. Mm. And um, you know, so she's living at school now obviously and then the seizures are happening overnight, and so she has to come back home. Like, it's yeah. just not working. Um, and she consulted the, her, like, primary doctor again. And her mom says, oh, the doctor said that they had to, we had to go find a priest at this point. And when the doctor was interviewed after everything, he was like, I most certainly did not say that. Not oh. even one time. <laughs> nope. Sorry. That's what mom said. Oh, my gosh. And at this point, Annalise's depression came back, obviously, because, like, she left college and things are shitty. And she began to, um, like, smell the gross smells again. Mm-hmm. Um, now, after all of these incidences, Annalise's family and her community became convinced that she was possessed and they needed a religious intervention to save her. It feels to me like her mom was selling that really hard for years. That's what she wanted to be the truth. But now she's getting her way. So the Michelle started looking desperately for a priest, but none of them would accept her case. A lot, like a lot of them turned her down because you see, to go about this properly, the priest performing the service, which we're going to get to with you in one second, would have to receive permission from the bishop who would have had cut to contact a doctor. Now, in order for an exorcism to proceed, the doctor would have to state that Annalise could not have been helped any further medically. And this couldn't have been any farther from the truth. Annalise would have benefited immensely from proper medical treatment. And most priests saw that. Plus, the exorcist had come out, like, right around then. And the church wasn't, like, super hyped to get involved in exorcisms. Yeah. After all. (laughs) That was one of my facts for 1973. (laughs) Ooh. Oh, that's right. I didn't let you talk about 1973. That's okay. I will 
in one second. Annalise continued to decline and started exhibiting some like less than human behaviors. She started growling and lashing out violently. She would eat insects and bits of coal from the fire and she would urinate on the floor and then like lick it up. Mm. So gross. So she, uh, she wasn't doing great, but her family at this point flatly refused to seek medical attention. They felt they had exhausted all the medical community could offer them. Right. Well, right. right. <laughs> I mean, I guess that they did because they figured it out. Like, and they didn't do it. They were like, cool, that's what we're supposed to do, but we're just not going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you tell us some fun things about 1973? Because that was very depressing. Okay. Let me get back to it. So in 1973, the that was the Roe versus Wade Supreme Court Ooh, decision. Yeah. That's a good one. Um, so the big movies were The Exorcist and American Graffiti. God, bad time for the Catholic Church. Roe v. Wade and The Exorcist? Yikes. I know. <laughs> and American Graffiti? Oh, they were on tilt. <laughs> um, Jimmy Carter, I know you're going to be scared about this one. Jimmy Carter reported a UFO sighting. Oh, I hate UFOs. <laughs> and this I thought was very interesting, and I had to look mm-hmm. it up a lot more to because I needed more information. But the New York Yankee pitchers, Mike Kekich and Fritz Peterson, held a preference press conference to announce they had traded lives. This included the exchange of wives, children, and dogs. What? Yeah. So I, I had thought to you were going to say up. they were in love. No. <laughs> they just swip swapped. It was like crazy. That's yeah. not, you can't do that. That's not a thing. Well, they did it. So I what they them. did, <laughs> yeah, they like a few years, I think it must have been like a few years prior, but they went out together with their wives on a date and then realized that, um, I don't, it was like super sketchy. I think Fritz Peterson, he was, he told his wife like, Hey, they were meeting at a bar and he was like, why don't you drive with Mike and I'll drive with his wife. Ew. So yeah. So she was like, okay. So they like switched and they drove there and both so Mike and Fritz were like getting along with each other's wives and they kept going out like like this and it finally got to a point where Mike and Fritz had a conversation and he was like I think I'm in love with your wife and he's like I'm in love with your wife and so they got divorces the wives were like in it too they they were like yeah so they got divorces they you know remarried each other and then they were trying to figure out what to do with the house situation and they didn't want to make it con- so like hard like, we'll just switch yeah and well to like not move too much because they both had children they both had pets like they had these houses those children were probably like who's my dad yeah so they just they were like well we'll just keep everyone where they're at and we'll just switch so they like switched and it was That's crazy not how it works it was not so they did that for a couple years seems like fritz and his new wife, I forget what her name was, but they are like still happily married. Whereas Mike and the other one, they ended up getting a divorce like years later. They don't talk anymore to the other Sucks couple. Sucks to be them. Yeah, you can tell. Like I kind of feel like Mike was, you know, it was like one of those like, like weird, I don't know. It was like suggested to them. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like this is uh, going to be great. It's going to work out for us. And like also maybe you, but just us probably. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that it was a crazy story. I went down around. That is a crazy yeah. story. I like it. Okay. Sorry. So back to the exorcist. <laughs> yep. 
So what else happened in 1973 for Annalise? Um, that was about it. She she started to like that was all right. We we're gonna move on to another date in a second. We did that one a little backwards, but it's totally okay. The Exorcist coming out in 1973 is important though because that drew a lot of attention, like possibly unwanted attention to the Catholic Church, and um, most priests didn't love it but some did some were like into it and they were like oh man i want to like jump on board and be that famous hero guy so finally in 1975 which is two years later i think you have that one too but we'll get to it in one second no you don't okay cool um in 1975 father ernst alt 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 met with the michelle met with the michelles and I think he was one of the ones that saw an opportunity. This is stated in multiple sources that he had seen The Exorcist and he was like itching to have that kind of huge religious heroic experience. He saw Annalise and immediately said, oh, she doesn't look epileptic. <laughs> I'm sorry. Does it give you a giant facial mole or something? Right. How do you look look epileptic? Yeah. But that was like enough for him. He's like, well, she doesn't look epileptic, so she's she's definitely um, possessed by demons, 100%. Right? Yeah. And so he fudged his way into getting permission from the bishop, so he lied a lot, mm-hmm. so that Father Arnold Renz could perform an exorcism. Okay, so now before we move on to the actual exorcism, let's talk about possession. Yay. Demonic possession is said to be when a demon spirit possesses a human body, and the only way to rid the afflicted is to perform the rites of exorcism, which is a Catholic ceremony to remove the spirit and return the suffering to their usual form. And now I am going to defer to Leslie as she is much more of a Catholic than I have ever been. <laughs> so, uh, so talk okay. to us about possession and exorcism. Yeah, okay. So this is what happens. This, I guess, would be the most current of what happens in an exorcism. Okay. The priest must wear a type of embroidered white tunic called a surplice uh, alongside a purple stole. Fashion. The person who is possessed may be bound and holy water should be used. Just like thrown at them? Um, So again, may, may be bound. They don't necessarily have to be, but they may be bound. Okay. And yeah, and holy water is like a big thing. So they would be like, they would, um, yeah, like splash it on them. They just have the little thing that like flings it on them, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the priest will make the sign of the cross on the person several times throughout. Uh, the priest calls on saints, uh, prays, and reads excerpts from the Bible in which Jesus drives out demons from people. Mm. And Jesus's name, he asks, oh, in Jesus's name, he asks the possessing demon to yield to God and depart as many times as necessary. Ooh. And once the priest is convinced the exorcism has worked, he prays to God to prevent the evil spirit from bothering the afflicted person further and for the goodness and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ to take hold of the person instead. I love how they just have like the last say. They're like, mm, it worked now. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> and also it could take it could take as long as it has to. So it could take that day. It could take, mm-hmm. you know, just a couple hours. It could take weeks. It could take months. It could, you know, last a year. And um, it'll involve a lot of times, like, they really just have to have the priest there, but it's helpful to have other faithfuls, Mm -hmm. which are, um, you know, just other, either the people in the house, like the family members, or maybe some of the people in their church. But anyone that is also a devout Catholic can, like, come and help with the prayers. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. 
So do you have some like demonic possession symptoms for us? What does it look like when you're possessed by a demon? Oh, yeah. Like me? Does it look like me? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Holly without bangs um, is oh, one. Oh, no. Soft <laughs> panting. Ew. Uh, <laughs> I hate soft panting. <laughs> Just kidding. All right. There is loss or lack of appetite, cutting, scratching, and biting of skin, a cold feeling in the room, unnatural bodily postures and change in a person's face and body. So like when you have a seizure. Mm-hmm. The possessed losing control of their normal personality and entering into a frenzy or rage and or attacking others. Change in a person's voice. Hey, man. <laughs> I don't know. I'm... <laughs> hey, lady. How hey, dare lady. you take me to the shrine? Man. I uh, just shit my pants. Hey. <laughs> We shouldn't laugh, but... No, I know. Okay. We do. Sorry. Uh, Supernatural physical strength, not subjected to a person's build or age. Speaking and understanding another language, which they have never learned before. Um, Knowledge of things that are distant or hidden. Prediction of future events. Levitation and moving of objects or things. Expelling of objects or things. Intense hatred and violent reaction towards all religious objects or items. And... Antipathy towards entering a church, speaking Jesus' name, or hearing scriptures. Okay, so she did have a lot of these symptoms. Yeah. And she gets more as as we roll along. Unfortunately, they do, they they really coincide with a lot of serious medical issues. Yeah. That if you choose to ignore, will, you know, compound and give you more of those symptoms. So it's absolutely not a fun place to be in. Is that all of our exorcism and demonic possession facts? Yes. All right, and I will I will move along. Okay. Do we have anything about 1975? We don't, right? No. 76 is the next time we have something. Okay. Yeah. So fathers Alt and Renz met with the Michelles many times. And Annalise wrote to Father Alt frequently. That's how they corresponded. And she said, I am nothing. Everything about me is vanity. What should I do? I have to improve. You pray for me. And then also she once uh, wrote in a letter, I want to suffer for other people, but this is so cruel. Yeah. Tough. In September of that same year, Bishop Joseph Stangle granted um, the priest, I mentioned this previously, but I'm repeating myself, the priest Arnold Wren's permission to um, exercise whatever demons are in Annalise according to the Rituel Romanum of 1614, but ordered it be done in total secrecy. Okay. So they weren't to tell anybody this was happening, which that is, I feel like that's shady. Um, that's, that's normal actually. Is it? Yeah, it can be. Um, and not a lot of them are like publicized, like, um, yeah, they're, they're normally pretty private things. Wait, didn't you say that you spoke to an exorcist in school? I did. Well, I didn't speak with him. He just appeared. Like he, he was, came like, to there. your school. Yeah. It was very scary. <laughs> it was, okay. I want to know about it so bad. Yeah. Um, it, so I went to a Catholic school my entire life. Um, Ugh, bless. From, yeah. And then even my college was a private school, but not run by Catholics. I don't think. No. Yeah, it was actually. I take that back. Um, so Catholic school all my life. Anyway, so in high school... We had um, an exorcist just came to visit us for the day, but I think he just came to talk to our priest. God damn, the only, that's the only day going to Catholic school really paid off. It did, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I remember it. It was, we didn't really interact with him. We had already had like a 
we had, so a lot of times we have these retreats like once a year where we would go with our class and there was like a a whole thing where we would um, just get kind of reconnected with God and Jesus and like you do and learn a lot. Yeah. And um, depending on the age too, like in seventh grade, it was a lot more about like, uh, like, it was like an abstinence talk more so, you know, and then they're, cause they, in school, they had to give us like the full talk with like how to protect yourself, you know, like with, you know, uh, protection and all that things. But then they took us away for the church side and was just like, but don't do anything. <laughs> that's shady. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but it was what most of the parents wanted, you know, that's why they brought us to that school. Still, they're like, we're going to abide by like public education rules, mm-hmm. except for now we're not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, they taught us both sides. My school was pretty okay. good about that. Yeah. That's good. Um, and then, so in high school, we had one of these retreats as well. So there was like, um, it was a lot more about opening yourself up to like devilish things, you know, more like drugs Yikes. and more sex and certain kinds of music and other everything things. Everything that's good. Yeah, everything that's good. Um, a lot of talk about Ouija boards and things like that. So, <laughs> yeah. And uh, so we had just had that talk and then that week the um, we found out that the exorcist, there was a new person that was appointed as the exorcist in our diocese. So they came to talk to our priest. And I just remember the day being like very gloomy. And this man- Well, yeah, you had an exorcist come to your class. Yeah, it just was really, it just, I feel like it was a stormy day. It was. And this guy walks in and he wore like one of those coats that like you would expect them to wear with like the hat, the long hat. He wore the costume. He wore wore (laughs) the costume. Yeah, it was very, um, but then he like took it off right away. So it was just like- (laughs) I'm pretty proud that he like thought to wear it though. He's like, I'm going to give these kids a show. (laughs) Probably, it probably did. Yeah. But it was, um, we were all unsettled the whole day. Like there was no reason for us to be, but we were just super unsettled. Cause I think we were like, oh, people actually do that. What did he say to you guys? Was he like, Hey friends, I'm the new exorcist in town. Well, no, cause we didn't interact with him, but it was that we just had that retreat where Mm -hmm. we learned a lot more about like exorcisms and then us, like what we can partake in in our high school adventures that could cause the demons to access our bodies and gross need an exorcism yeah gross so that was my it was a very simple it was just very gloomy (laughs) your high school had an exorcism retreat Ugh, mine only had like rowing Well, was it? I wouldn't call it an exorcism retreat. We just happened to I talk would, about that. I, I would call it an exorcism <laughs> I guess retreat. You, yeah, I guess. <laughs> That's what I'm going to call it forever now. Yeah, there was a lot of praying and asking Jesus to save us. So, Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Literal Jesus this time. Yeah. Okay. So those, that was, a, I love that story. That's a good one. Okay. So what happens, and I don't know if this is like on the up and up or not. They perform the exorcism that the bishop had granted them permission to perform. They perform it on Annalise in her home. It takes like four hours. They restrain her and shout at her and throw holy water at her and the whole nine. Mm-hmm. And she feels like it works. They feel like it works. Yeah. She feels better. And like um, the amount of time that passes between them is not very specific. But let's say like a few weeks pass. Mm -hmm. And then she starts, the symptoms come back. 
and they start doing it again. Okay. Now, is that copacetic with the church or would they have to be like, it didn't work. We're going to go back in and do it again. Yeah. If it didn't work. Because there's a two week, like at least two week break between them. Maybe longer. I don't have that. Yeah. But you said that the symptoms came back. Right. Yes. But yeah. they didn't ask the bishop again. Oh, okay. I I don't know. I don't know how far that goes. I would assume that the bishop would have to be aware the whole time. That's what I'm saying. The bishop yeah. would have to know that they were going to go in again. He did yeah. not. Okay. He did not. They only were sanctioned from the church. So like, hey, Catholic church, I'm helping you out. <laughs> they were only sanctioned for that one. Yeah. But she started... Um, um, like writing to Father Alt again and talking about um, the same kind of thing she was before. She resumed her previous date, except for this time, instead of being kind of violent to her family and lashing out at them, she turned all of her violence on herself. And she would stay in her room. She would refuse to eat. And she began like slamming her head into walls and like scratching at her. You said that's a big thing. And like scratching yeah. at her skin, scratching at the walls. Um, she would hit her face like against things so that it messed up her teeth. Mm. She was like, there are pictures that we will post and I will pi- I will post them with a warning because they are, they're hard to look at. There, she was in a really terrible state and there are pictures of her on like the last day of her life and, and postmortem, which I don't know if I want to publish or not. I, I don't know how I feel about that, but we'll see afterwards. We'll talk about it. And she began increasingly talking about, quote, she wanted to die to atone for the wayward youth of her day and apostate priests of the modern church. This is when she began telling the fathers she was possessed by six spirits. Want to know who they were? Yes. Yeah. They were Cain, the firstborn son of Adam and Eve, and the first murderer ever. Um, Because he killed his brother Abel, but I feel like the whole world knows that, even if they're not religious. Uh, Nero, who was the first royal leader of the Roman emperor in 60 AD. He was a pretty bad dude. He uh, committed suicide. He ordered to kill his, he was ordered to kill his mother. Um, he was just not great. Um, Judas Iscariot, who we all know, that's the guy who betrayed Jesus. Lucifer, the actual devil. <laughs> Hitler, we all know who Hitler is and why that could have entered her brain. Mm-hmm. And um, Priest Fleischmann, this is an interesting one. Priest Fleischmann, she said, was a demon, and his name was Valentin Fleischmann. He lived in Bavaria, in Annalise's hometown, in the 16th century. He was a Frankish priest for around two or three years, and he was defrocked by the church because he was a drunk, and he was just kind of violent. Okay. (laughs) He was charged for assault and assassination. So she was like, this guy that lived in my hometown, him too. Yeah. That's the weirdest one. She's got them all. Yeah. Well, now there's also an argument in in these guys because you're supposed to be possessed by a demon if you're possessed. Some of these are people. Right. They're just real people who lived. And it is arguable that you cannot be possessed by a person. You can't be possessed by Hitler's ghost. That's not that's not a demon. Yeah. So this this is also like kind of a red flag the church should have picked up on like a any priest that was performing exorcism rites should have been like wait a minute well she could have been possessed by the spirits that were possessing those people Ugh, priest fleischman devils yeah worst she could have been and that's i feel the excuse that was kind of thrown around but there's mm-hmm. there's more like like half of them are people yeah 
that's a lot yeah. for a possession case. And and it is argued later on that the church really sh- should and would have recognized it if it wasn't someone who was so eager to just perform exorcisms. Yeah, for sure. Which is part of the the problem here. So in the 10 months that followed this confession after she told him that things were going bad again and she started, you know, picking up on all her old behaviors and confessed to all these devils that were possessing her, fathers, um, the two fathers, who I forget the other one's name, Alt and I'll get back to it, with the assistance of Annalise's parents, performed 67 exorcisms. They all took approximately four hours. So that's a long, that's a lot of hours we're logging in exorcisms. That's usually, it usually takes a couple hours each time. Okay, so so over the course of 10 months, this was performed 67 times. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, and they were um, extremely, like, violent and rigorous. She mm-hmm. shouted and fought, and um, there are reports, and she did yell in Latin, Mm-hmm. But if you recall earlier, she was very Latin. good at Latin in school. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people were like, she didn't know Latin. It was a scary thing. She No, she knew Latin. She learned it in school, in primary school, and she happened to excel at it. So she would be able to recall that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, there are audio recordings of this. Okay. All of them are taped. Okay. Every single exorcism. So I struggled with whether I wanted to play them during the podcast or not. And I think they might be a little more than some people bargain for. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make some of them available on our website. That way, if you click it to listen to it, you wanted to listen to it. I just didn't spring it on you in the middle of a podcast. Great. Because you Thank might you. personally not want to, I know, like you probably would have freaking hate, it's terrible. It's really scary. And she sounds like mm-hmm. the movie, The Exorcist Voice. Like she has that terrifying voice right. and she's screaming and growling and it's guttural and awful and violent. Um, and they had her like constantly genuflect, which is to go down on your knees during these. Yeah. And she just was so, it was such a reflex that she began doing it constantly all the time. It was like a repetitive behavior for her. She did it so much that she broke her kneecaps and tore all the ligaments in her knees. She wow. couldn't even walk anymore. Yeah. So she was bed bound just due to kneeling so much. And and even then, they still would hold her and have her kneel. Right. Even after her knees were in that condition. Yeah. Oh my God, I can Again, picture this. <laughs> not a super um, kind and priestly thing to do, but they did. And and in the end of the sixty seven exorcisms, the end of the tenth month, she had she stopped eating altogether and drinking. She wasted away to about sixty eight pounds. And she's a full grown woman. Wow. So she looked like a skeleton. I mean, there are pictures. She looks like a skeleton. It's really upsetting. Um, and her she's like head injuries all over her eyes. Under her eyes are black. Her nose is all red and beat up looking. And on July first, nineteen seventy six, Annalise Michelle died in her home. And as I mentioned in the prologue, her last words were, Mother, I'm frightened, which is terrible. She died scared and, like, fighting people, trying to say there was something else wrong with her. That's so sad. The story is really grim, but this is my absolute favorite part of it. Her parents called, you know, the authorities and and coroners to come and get their daughter's body. And when the coroners arrived, they said, well, what happened? And her parents were like, well, she was sick. She died of natural causes. And the coroners went... She most certainly did not, and we will not write that on a report. Right. And they brought her straight to the medical examiner to be autopsied. Okay. Which I think is, like, pretty freaking amazing and solid yeah. thing to do in the presence of two priests and her entire family who were like, no, no, she just died. Right. They were like, uh, she... They were like, no, she did not. missing all her teeth. She can't walk. She Her face is messed up. And by this time, 
And now this can happen post-mortem. Um, she was, the like, ligature marks were forming yeah. on okay. her wrists and, like, so she, it was obvious that she had been, like, tied up. They could see the bruising on her wrists and, like, that she had held, been held down by her shoulders um, yeah. and their ankles and stuff. And they didn't, like, see that initially. But when she got brought to the medical examiner's office, by that point, the bruises had risen and you could see them. Okay. The autopsy revealed that Annalise had died of starvation and dehydration, which is an awful way to go. Yeah. And at the time of her death, she also had pneumonia. Because she had been very, very sick. Yeah. So an investigation was obviously launched after this, and the state prosecutor um, really insisted that An- Annalise's death could have been prevented even as much as a week before she died. Wow. If she was brought into medical care. Yeah. Um, in 1976, the state charged Annalise's parents and priest Ernst Alt and Arnold Renz with negligent homicide which is basically um, you killed her by not doing the right thing. Yeah. During the case, um, Annalise's body was exhumed and tapes were played in court of the exorcisms over the months that led to her death. Uh, Her parents were defended by Eric Schmidt-Leichner and their lawyers were sponsored by the church. Mm. The state recommended that none of the involved parties would be jailed. Instead, the recommended sentence for the priests was just to fine (laughs) which is nuts to me. Typical. And the prosecution concluded that the parents should be exempt from punishment as they had suffered enough. Oh, well, that's nice. I hate that so much. I feel like Annalise suffered. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. So before we get to um, their trial, we just talked about 1976. I know this we're doing this a little backwards, but tell us some 1976 facts to cheer us up real quick. Yeah, sure. Okay. So in 1976, the quote was, Adrian. Oh, fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, meow, 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 meow. <laughs> that lovely like song. Um, Apple Computer was formed by Steve Jobs, and Steve was was Wozniak. <laughs> <laughs> the first computer report says it sold for... Six hundred and sixty-six dollars and sixty-six cents. <gasps> That's diabolical. I know. Um, the Trix Rabbit was finally allowed to eat a bowl of Trix cereal as a result of the nineteen seventy-six "Let the Rabbit Eat Trix" contest. Well, thank God that was some happy news. I was upset. I wasn't yeah. alive, but still. Mm-hmm. Um. Sesame Street, episode 847, featured Margaret Hamilton reprising her role as the Wicked Witch of the West from, obviously, Wizard of Oz. It scared children so badly that the episode has never been re-aired. I want to find it now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Want to find it real bad? Bet it's on YouTube. And lastly, in 1976, doctors in Los Angeles went on strike and the mortality rate dropped in 18%. Yikes. Yeah. So. (laughs) That's a lot of 1976. Yeah. So uh, then the trial started on March 30th of 1978, which I will let you get to after we tell some facts so we can just. This episode, you've been cheering us up after all the grim. Yeah, I'm trying to. (laughs) Which I kind of like because it gets real dark and then you're like, also, where's yeah. the beef or whatever? Yeah. <laughs> I'm rebuking the devil from here. I yeah. love it. All the evil spirits. I rebuke you with my facts. 
rebuke the shit out of it. Yeah. <laughs> the trial started on March 30th, 1978 in the district court and drew a lot of public interest, obviously. How often do you get an exorcism? Mm. Uh, um, before court, a lot of doctors testified that Annalise was not possessed and they stated that this was all psychological effects because of her strict religious upbringing and medical effects due to her epilepsy. Uh, The doctor, Richard Roth, who was asked for medical help by Alt, allegedly told her during the exorcisms that there is no injection against the devil, Annalise. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So the doctor that the church brought in said that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Must have been. Right. Uh, Schmidt-Leichner said that the exorcism was legal and that the German constitution protected citizens in the unrestricted exercise of their religious beliefs. The defense played the tapes um, recorded at the exorcism sessions, sometimes um, featuring what they said was demons arguing to assert their claim that Michelle was possessed. Both priests said the demons identified themselves as Lucifer, Cain, Judas Iscariot, and all the ones I just said. Um, They further said that she was finally freed because of the exorcism just before she died. Oh, crazy turn of events. Minutes before she was dead, it totally worked. (sighs) So we should not uh, go to jail. Yeah, we were just making her a cheese sandwich. I don't know what happened. (laughs) I don't know how we got here. Jeez. And uh, the the bishop, whom, you know, they were supposedly gave them permission, said that he was absolutely never made aware of her alarming health condition when he approved the exorcism and refused to testify in court. Mm -hmm. He just was like, here's my comment. I didn't know any of that shit, but I can't (laughs) testify against the church. So bye. (laughs) Makes sense. Right. So the accused were all found guilty of manslaughter resulting um, from negligence, and they were sentenced to six months in jail, which was later suspended, and three years of probation. And this was like a way lighter sentence than anticipated, of course, because manslaughter is like a serious charge. But it was more than was requested by the prosecution, who had just asked that the priest be fined and the parents be found guilty but not punished. The church approving of such an old-fashioned exorcism right drew a lot of public media attention. And um, the case was really labeled as a misidentification of mental illness. Yeah. Poor Annalise. So what happened in 1978 before we kind of talk about wrapping this up? Uh, Ben and Jerry's opened in Vermont. Ice cream to fix it. Yeah. Uh, For the first year, we could turn right on red in the United States. Oh, we enjoy that when we're not Mm -hmm. quarantined forever. And then this one's funny. Let me get through the whole sentence before you make a statement. Okay, go. So, (laughs) Sir Dinglefoot, a British MP, died in 1978 after choking on a bone in a a chicken sandwich. Also, someone was actually named Dinglefoot. That's two words. Dinglefoot. Sir Dinglefoot. Are you done? I'm done. (laughs) You knew I wouldn't be able to not say, like, did you say Sir Dinglefoot? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And he choked on a sandwich bone. He did, yeah. And this was an unlucky time. I know. And this was the year that the quote, the opera ain't over till the fat lady sings, was brought in. Yeah. Appropriate. Yeah. Appropriate enough. And those were my favorites. (laughs) I like those. So, um, What actually happened here, we think? I read a very interesting theory that said that instead of being 
possessed or schizophrenic, Annalise had dissociative identity disorder, which most people will know as like multiple personalities. We've all heard of like Sybil or some kind of like salacious reaccount of something like that, um, which is where people will, um, they will process past trauma by um, like quote unquote splitting into different Mm -hmm. personalities that like be different people and those people kind of isolate parts of their trauma so that they don't have to experience it all the time. And um, th- these people theorized that um, they, they, the people that she said was she was possessed by, like Hitler, yeah. were there to like I, encapsulate any kind of badness she felt was in her. So when she felt she had any kind of badness, she'd be like, I'm Hitler. Here's the shit that Hitler's making me do. And they were just part of how she dissociated to deal with her kind of like very strict religious upbringing in childhood. Okay. Which I thought was super interesting. Yeah, for sure. Because that's not initially listed in any of, like, the diagnoses that Annalise gets. The most common, well, it's not even, not common, but the most widely published explanation for what her issues were was that she had temporal lobe epilepsy and, and was schizophrenic. Although most of it could be explained just by the epilepsy. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, I think everything else was brought on a lot by her mom and yeah. just her surroundings, you know, people freaking her out. And mm-hmm. and there was yeah. a lot of that said. Yeah. A lot of it was like the situation snowballed mm-hmm. and she was just so nervous about it and she had more and more seizures because of it. And mm-hmm. I mean, like, like I said, the schizophrenia is debatable because while it's listed a lot of places, there aren't any like actual medical tests that say like, yeah, she definitely had this. Yeah. They just said, like, we think that's what she has, so we're going to give her some antipsychotics and see what happens. Right. So that appears to me to be what happened, and and it is widely believed that if Annalise had received the medical attention she needed, she would never have gotten to the point she got it. She got to. Yeah, absolutely. Had she been consistently and properly treated for her epilepsy and possible schizophrenia, she would not have devolved into someone who, like, drank urine off the floor and slam their head against walls. Yeah. I know. It's horrifying. Yeah. Super sad, but not the devil. (laughs) (laughs) Not in this, not in this case. Not in this story. Maybe we'll find one that actually is the devil next time. Crazy. Well, not next time. That was a crazy story. Yeah. That is a super nuts story. Oh, next week is our 10th. Oh yeah. We need to vote. I know. We need to put up a poll this week and have people vote. Because we've had people send in um, suggestions, right? Okay. So should we open it up for anyone? Like, I think you and I should just discuss like three to three or four that we want to. Okay. Cause I know we have a lot already. We have a list. Yeah. Okay. All right. And then we'll put them in a poll on all the social media so you guys can vote. And then we will do that next week. We have campfire stories coming up on Friday. I already have a really fun one picks. I think you might have one too. Yeah. Do you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. We're doing good for this week. Yeah. I think that's all I have to say on on Annalise Michelle. Her story actually makes me super sad. I know. It does. Um, I know that that year, so after The Exorcist came around, there was also, there was just a ton of exorcisms that came up. A lot of my notes were from America, though, so that was happening a lot. There was like a surge in exorcisms. Really? Because of The the Exorcist? Yeah. And then especially after this particular one, this is where the Catholic Mm -hmm. Church kind of like reined it back in. And was just like, um, you guys, you need to chill out. And then it wasn't until 1999 um, that they did like an, um, they amended their protocols for an exorcism. So that's where um, 
you know, it's still stated that you need to see a doctor and a psychologist, all these people, although yeah. they're all still of the Catholic faith that you have to Ugh. see them through, which it sounds a little shady, but at the same time, I like kind of get it because they just need like they're they're taking it very seriously by calling in these people, but they need them to know like these professionals, but they mm-hmm. also want somebody that understands why they're asking them these questions, you know, that might understand yeah. their religion and what they're doing. But um, yeah, I don't necessarily think a Catholic doctor is going to be like not reliable. No, that's, yeah, that's I mean, not... he still has his like you know, right? They still have the. Hippocratic oath that they have yeah. to kind of think about. Yeah. <laughs> in addition to Jesus. Yeah. So. so um, but yeah, it's very interesting. And there's not that there's more than I thought. I should have written the number down, of course. They said that there's about a hundred and eighty what is it? Out of like a hundred and eighty, like exorcisms that come on their table like that are like Mm -hmm. filed basically people are like hey um i think they said like only like 12 actually get done like into like this major of one which to me was still like kind of a big number out of 180 like well i have an interesting like point to add to that now i um i kind of fell down a rabbit hole of like what constitutes Mm -hmm. a demon and like what can possess a person Mm -hmm. and it's funny because as far as Catholicism goes, there are, like, two schools of thought about, like, traditional demons like Lucifer or Satan or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call him. Some people say they have a physical embodiment, like they were a, an actual physical thing, and they would have to leave their physical body in hell or wherever they are, mm-hmm. and then their spirit would go into this person. And there's another school of thought that they're just spirits, like free Roman spirits, and they can just get in. Right. The Vatican stance is that they are grounded in like a physical body. So mm-hmm. if they're going to take somebody else's physical body, it has to be incredibly useful to them. Right. They have to be able to, like, like you said, people say Hitler had was possessed by a demon because mm-hmm. he would have been very useful to them. Look at the mm-hmm. horrible genocide and chaos that occurred because of him. That's why a lot of people say, well, he... He did it. He was like a dictator and stuff. Um, or you would have you'd have to be that kind of person, influential in some way, serving that kind of evil mm-hmm. purpose. And a like a random twenty three year old girl, which is how old Annalise was when she died. It's hard to see what purpose that would have served, right? If you're of that school of thought. So if the Vatican like that came across that higher up of a table, mm-hmm. they would have been like, no, of course not, right? What? <laughs> like immediately, no. Yeah. But this just like was someone who really wanted it to be true. And I think her mother really wanted it to be true. Yeah, you can make anything work for what your belief is. I always say that people believe anything they want if they really want to, or they yeah. won't believe things if they really don't want to see them. Yeah. So it's a really tough condition. And, and I like, couldn't help but the whole time I was reading it feel like, does this mom have like a little touch of the Munchausen? Because she really, really, really wants her child to maintain her illness in a way that is, like, faith-based. Yeah. She didn't give her her medication. She had, like, every illness in the world. Yeah. I don't know. See? Like, doesn't that feel, like, a little bit sketchy? Anytime she came home, her mom was like, let me just take all your meds. You're not going to take those anymore. Right. I don't know. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, we can't really... I mean, they're not here for us to to ask, so <laughs> yeah. we can't really know. Can't but, call them up. Yeah, that's all the information. I will um, make... A photo suite available tomorrow as well as some of that audio. Okay. Which I 
I will provide a warning when I post it too. Yeah. It is very difficult to listen to. Yeah, just put it right before or something. I will. It's very scary. And like knowing that she was really being harmed while this was happening makes it doubly difficult to listen to. Yeah. So if your guys are in, like your guys, ugh, you guys are in any way feeling sensitive to any of those things, like just don't yeah. listen. I know I can tell people until the end of time, like, don't look at the pictures. Don't Google this. It's super scary. And the first thing you're going to do is look it up. But I can say when I'm posting it, like, do yourself a favor. If you think it's going to, like, fuck you up, don't listen to it. <laughs> um, and do it. I think that's all. Is that? Do you have any more to add? No, I think that's it. I think I have enough to sleep on tonight. Okay, so let's um let's toast. Okay. Do you have anybody that you uh, particularly want to extend a Yeah, I think I'm going to go with little Annalise thank you to. today. Yeah. Poor girl. I went a different direction and okay. I want to toast the coroners that came in. Oh, okay. Because mm-hmm. if they hadn't said anything, if they just went with what these people were telling them, no one would have been prosecuted. We would never know the story. Yeah. Annalise would have just died and that would have been it. All right. I'm with you. So we can raise our little glasses to both of them because I think they both deserve a little credit in that ep- in this uh, episode. So cheers. cheers <laughs> clunk. Cheers. Clunk, clunk. Annalise <laughs> and, uh, and coroners. And uh, if we were dangerously mentally and physically ill in a time and place where the world refused to help us, we would be dead. We would be dead. We would be dead. We would be so dead. Ugh. Ugh. Disturbing one. <laughs> All right. Anyway, <laughs> see you guys Friday. Bye. Thank you for listening to the We Would Be Dead podcast. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. Rate and review our show on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at WouldBeDeadPod. And join our Facebook group to discuss the podcast and more. There is like another cat wandering around or something. Not your cat. I can't. (laughs) Everything's freaking me out now. And I'm like team science and it's still freaking me out. So... I, I don't, I can't. All I can think of is Emily Rose. I hate it so much. <laughs> yeah. It was Binks, of course. Meow, 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 meow.